Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. I'm Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he never brainstorms incorrectly, it's Matt Morgan. Back when we used to work in the office before I worked from home remotely, I liked to swap the M and the N key on people's keyboards in the office. And they would try to tell me that I'm a monster, but really just came out that I'm a nomster. <laughs> nom 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 indeed that must have made nom day mornings really weird work days it made it really weird but uh i was kind of fed up with some people's stuff around the office so i just said you know what it's monor nister mice guy <laughs> that was slick well done oh wow you put the prep work into that one Matt. I, d- I practiced for a whole three minutes before we did this one Wow, yeah. Nat Norgum really came in with the dad jokes today. (laughs) All right. Up next, he didn't even know you could brainstorm incorrectly. It's Dama Roach. (laughs) Uh, Someone broke into my car last night and all they took were my antidepressants. I hope they're happy now. (laughs) (laughs) It's like vaguely wholesome. (laughs) Yeah. Um. I don't know what to do with that data. Wow. <laughs> that was actually a listener suggested dad joke I got from uh, uh, Minneapolis. So there we go. I think you mean Nimiapolis. Okay, no, I need to drop there, that. Yes. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dana, what are we talking about in this week's episode? Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about uh, a defense of bad cards. Yeah, these these are cards or maybe groups of cards that like have downsides or they're not the most optimal play that you could be making. They're not the best choice, but like, I don't know, we love them anyway, so we want to talk about them. Just little things that help us enjoy being silly in Games of Commander, and that should be a good time. But before we get to it, we got some shout outs to do. First, we want to thank Chase, also known as Manicurves, for the help in editing the show. You can find them on Twitter at Manicurves. We also want to shout out Coalesce Apparel and Design, who make awesome magic-inspired merch. And if you use code EDHREC, you'll get 10% off your purchase. They have an Omnath Rock and Royal shirt that you should check out if you love Landfall. And we, of course, recommend the EDHREC collection as well. These shirts are also, like, crazy comfy, by the way. Once again, that's code EDHREC at checkout for 10% off your order. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking and subscribing to this video on YouTube, subscribing to your local podcast app, or by going to patreon.com slash We have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, and it's just a great way to get yourself a little benefit while also supporting the show. And one of those benefits is the weekly patron shout out. 
which we give to just for someone for just for signing up. So this week we're going to give a very big shout out to Vienna Star. So Vienna, I, I love your hot dogs. Uh, you are quite a star in the hot dog world. So thank you so much for your support and for the amazing Vienna hot dogs. Oh, wow. Vienna Star absolutely is a name from someone who was a member of Gem and the Holograms. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Neither do I. What a, it's an 80s a, cartoon, man. With like a bunch of like 80s glam rock girls. Dana here with a cut so oh, deep I'm that so, it's like. I'm so old. <laughs> four people out there are laughing right now. But <laughs> I'm glad you know people, your audience. But four people nonetheless. <laughs> Amazing. Vienna, thank you ever so for the support. You are the star of this shout out. Matt, I'm trying real hard to get on par with your dad jokes, but uh, I, I hope it's working. I hope I you mean, like I it. already I already made that one, so like I just gave you a free one. Oh, that's true. I'm just copying your homework. But you know what? Practice it makes perfect. Invitation's the best form of flattery. Thank, thank all, you, uh, Fienna, for outing Joey as a plagiarist. <laughs> <laughs> ah! Oh, no. All right. Let's get into our topic here. Uh, talk about some silly cards. They're not the best, but they, we love them anyway. And Dana, how about we hand this right off to you? Are there cards that you play where people are like, why are you playing that one? And you're like, because I love it. Like, what are cards that come to your mind when you think of things that are just like, eh, it's probably like not the best thing I could be doing, but I love to do it. Well, the, the first thing I think I maybe will do is read a, a quote here from from Rachel Weeks. And, and speaking of um, inverted letters, you can find her on Twitter at uh, Rachel Reeks. <laughs> um, and Rachel's comment here is, I love when folks comment on my decks on Moxfield, but it always makes me laugh when people say cards in my decks are bad. Friend, I know. I play a lot of bad cards. Bad cards rule. <laughs> it's a good energy. Um, so, yes, I, I I am very much with um, uh, uh, Rachel Reeks there on that one. Um, and I don't think she means bad cards as in like cards that are just generally terrible. I think she means cards that are like probably bad in a general usage sense, but like in your specific deck, they do more work maybe than they would otherwise do. I don't think Rachel is just like jamming some, you know, four, four, nine mana creature from the old legends series into her um, deck just to do it. Um, having played Rachel's deck and decks before and gotten just steamrolled, <laughs> she very much is not doing that. <laughs> um, the first example, though, I, I have of this when I, when I think of this kind of thing is cards that are wildly inefficient and oftentimes maybe draft fodder level cards. But because they're built around a keyword for that set's draft or some kind of a mechanic or, or some theme from the set, your deck that might do something with that theme winds up gaining extra benefit from those cards in a way that like they wouldn't otherwise normally work. Hmm. Um, so a couple examples here, like Growth Spasm pops to mind. It's it's a ramp spell, two and a green, it goes and gets a basic land into play tapped, and it makes an Eldrazi Scion. Um, that's a pretty lousy rate of return compared to what people usually play for ramp spells. I don't think, generally speaking, that Eldrazi Scion is worth paying the extra mana, particularly when you're, you know, usually trying to ramp out very early and, and underneath your commander's cost. It's not a particularly good spell. Um, but if you're doing something that takes advantage of those spawns and scions, um, something Matt and I both have decks to do. Mm. That changes that equation quite a bit. Um, I, I have a Jahira Friend of the Forest deck where I can tap tokens to generate mana. Well, that's just one more token that I can generate mana. And then it does a lot of kind of um, aristocrat stuff. And it's a it's a body I can sacrifice on demand to, number one, make more mana and then generate damage off things like Age of the Iron Throne. So the synergy that card gives off 
more than makes up for the fact that like in a general sense, it's a bad card. Yeah, that's a pretty spot on way to define kind of what we're talking about. Some people would call it jank. I don't like calling things jank because it implies that I I know it's bad, but I'm playing it anyways because I just want to. Whereas if you're playing something specific to a deck's synergies that you have going on there, that's kind of more in line with just a lot of my deck building strategies. Dana, I know you too. We get with growth, growth spasm. It's probably not a card you would see very often, but you have the deck built in a certain way or you're playing around a certain theme or whatever that the deck, it's it's not a bad card anymore. It's it's functional. It's, it's good, even some would say. So just because of the hoops that you're jumping through with the rest of the deck to me, Jank is saying, oh, well, like it's a bad card and it's still a bad card in the deck, but I'm still going to play it. And that, to me, that kind of defeats the purpose of saying, well, like we're, we're putting growth spasm in a deck because it has synergies with XYZ cards in the rest of the deck. That is, uh, I think the whatever title, if we go with like bad cards in the title of the show, it'll be like bad in heavy quotation marks because sure, that right. is in like eight of- little apostrophes <laughs> going around each side. Uh, Yeah, because that is kind of the thing. The magical piece about Commander is that there's kind of no such thing as something completely unplayable, just like there's no such thing as like an always auto-include. That's something that you and I, Matt, have really been like, "Eh, we we don't really believe that there's always stuff that you must play. And there's also like, it's it's hard to make stuff like unequivocally bad in 100% of situations. There are always little things about a card that you can unlock interesting facets about it, even if it has a really high mana cost. That's something that, you know, I have a deck that plays full omen for example which deals damage based on the mana cost of my cards so like potentially even a clunky mana cost is a thing that i can take advantage of and so growth spasm is an example that works really well for you guys here and i totally see why uh because i mean yeah there's there's cool stuff that you are able to pull off with that to kind of move into another example for me this is like not the most efficient reanimation spell in the world. And so I think that there are a lot of folks who would look at it and probably wouldn't give it the time of day, but I really like it for the reanimation decks that I've got. Makeshift Mannequin is a card that I would like, be like, oh man, like this, this one's really, really great. I hope that more people play it, but it does have an effect on it that makes it look like a bit of a downside. Um, this is a four mana black instant that says return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield with a mannequin counter on it. For as long as that creature has that counter on it, it has when this creature becomes the target of a spell or ability, sacrifice it. And this shows up in less than 1500 decks. But I've been really, really impressed with this card, even though it is by no means one of the better reanimation effects that you could pl- be playing out there. Because we've already got animate dead, reanimate, victimize, necromancy. Like if you have a limited number of slots for animation in your deck those are the bigger names taking up all the air in the room but makeshift mannequin being instant speed that's been really relevant for me where i'm like surprise blocker or i'm gonna play this on your end step surprise attacker you didn't expect that one to be here and that's really really cool and the fact that it makes the thing sacrifice if anything gets pointed at it well most of the time when something would get pointed at it it's usually like a path to exile or whatever so it was probably going to die anyway if something targets this and at least this time it goes right back to the graveyard so it could potentially reanimate it again so like this is in comparison to like the animate deads and stuff you know not as efficient as some of those but it's still got its charms and i cannot let that go well and the the instant speed on that too joey is almost worth adding a little bit of fragility to the creature because you have old legacy decks like the the, the Tinfins decks. I know that means nothing to you paper zoomers out there, <laughs> but uh, Gorio's Vengeance was a thing that it was instant speed reanimation gave haste. You had to get rid of it till end of tur- or at the end of the turn. Well, makeshift mannequin, you get to keep it around. Like, yes, it's, it's fragile. It, it's, you, you look at it wrong and you have to sacrifice it, but 
instant speed reanimation doesn't come very often. And so there's a lot of flexibility. They're like, I, I don't think this card's bad by any means. Yeah, in, in the point about um, if anyone's pointing something at a creature in Commander, it's going to be going away anyway. It's a really good point. It's pretty fragile, but but it isn't <laughs> because like in, in Commander, who's targeting a crew? Who's who's running a thing that doesn't kill a thing anyway for the most part? I mean, heck, Phantasmal Image has that same downside. If you look at it, it gets sacrificed. And that card is showing up in over 62,000 decks. I, I, I just mean, I, I think it's safe to say that that sacrifice ability is not the biggest downside in the world. And in some cases, it's maybe beneficial to have the ability fizzle. Like that that's almost a, a better way. Like I, I, I'm talking about cards that that have added synergy. I, I didn't mention one that was on my list here, um, which was Asterian's Thirst. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about cards that like aren't that good but have good synergy. That's that's an exile spell, exile a creature, you put plus one counters on a creature you control equal to its its power. Um, you know, I was, the example I was going to use was that's really good in a plus one counter synergy deck. Well, if someone aims something like that at makeshift mannequin, they don't get the plus one counters. Like there are situations where that's actually kind of an upside. Now, now maybe in a limited environment where like people are having to run, you know, auras to give a creature minus two, minus O for pseudo removal, that's maybe a downside. But in commander, it just is just a, a, a non-factor. See, Danny, you mentioned Asterian's Thirst, which is a card that I would almost argue is in the running for my cards that could be on this list of inefficient cards, but they have a really good synergy yeah. and they're worth yeah. playing in certain decks. Like that's that's my whole jib lately. So um, <laughs> I'm I'm complimented, but also offended that you would say, oh, well, maybe you just get rid of that downside. Yeah, I, I absolutely don't want to have something I'm aiming the Asterian's Thirst at disappear i want i want those counters that's why i'm running it yeah yeah for sure yeah Yeah, matt this is a a removal spell that you've been championing for a while now and Mm -hmm. yeah it's really threatening (laughs) like yeah and and not just for the instant speed removal because that's that's always fantastic it's always helpful especially when you compare it to a lot of other options in that card slot but putting a whole bunch of plus one plus one counters on a creature at instant speed it's a combat trick, it's removal, it's a kill condition sometimes. I mean, Dana, you've made a career off of playing cards like Tainted Strike or Hatred or whatever <laughs> berserk type of effects are out there. You just love these, and this is a, another one of those cards that instant speed, you're dead. Especially if your commander has trample, like you attack, they mm-hmm. block with a, some random little thing, and they're like, oh, whatever, and then you cast Thirst, exile their blocker, pump up your commander, and then trample all that damage over. It's yeah. disgusting and delicious. But yeah, this, this card is certainly lower on the list of removal spells that people will tend to play in the color black because there are so many more that are like two mana, like Infernal Grasp and the Go for the Throats, and even the Baleful Mastery is another one that I know Dana really enjoys. And those do have a greater degree of versatility and the four mana here for pinpoint removal does feel a little bit like, eh, so people don't usually give this one, you know, a, a whole lot of attention. But like if I were to subscribe too heavily to, oh, I want to play those those optimal things, I would miss out on awesome moments like that by not playing a card like this. Well, one thing that I know I like putting into my decks that it, people never really seem to be that high on it because it doesn't get rid of the the problem but I still like putting it into my decks anyways as Enchanter's Bane. Hmm. For one in a red, it's an enchantment that says, at the beginning of your end step, target enchantment deals damage equal to its mana value to its controller unless that player sacrifices it. So I know a lot of people don't like giving their opponents an option about something, but 
This is able to either get rid of a problem enchantment or punish them for still having it. So you have a big curse, for example. Well, you're going to deal eight mana or eight damage to somebody because they have this eight mana enchantment out on the battlefield or they have to get rid of it. It's the same <laughs> thing with Cathar's Crusade or anything like that. So it's it's never one of those cards, like I said, that people want to get rid of it right away because it's, it's not going to win the game. It's just going to make it annoying for the better things that you're doing. But there's almost always some big and powerful enchantment that's lingering around there and either you want to get rid of it or you want to punish them for having it on the battlefield. And this this is great. Oh yeah, I I I remember seeing this in one of your decks. I want to say you have this in your Valduk deck. Is that correct? I do. Yep. I, I remember seeing this. Like you, it came down turn two, uh, and someone had out some like I, I think I'd played like a Utopia Sprawl mm -hmm. uh, already, and so it was like a little land enchantment. I was just like, huh, well that's like kind of annoying, but I don't think it'll be a big deal. And then later as things went on, it was just kind of like you know what? It's been like three turns, and now with the other enchantments in play, I'm pretty sure that this thing has done like ten damage, mm -hmm. and that's that I shouldn't take for granted. I was like, oh, just a little bit here and there. Like that is actually a very effective Punisher card. And if it if I considered this to be a creature that was chipping in for that amount of damage over time, I think I'd be more aware of what's going on here. I shouldn't like take for granted the amount that he's doing here because he needs my life total to be low and it's it's getting low and I just wasn't noticing it because I like that's I guess the other thing about these like to defend quote bad cards for me to feel like eh, I don't think this card is all that good I'm not playing around it well if I discount how good that card actually can be and that is another cool thing about these cards that maybe people don't give the time of day to because Matt I think I played poorly against the card that you were playing because I so rarely play against it. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, you, you just you never get to see a card, so you never have a chance to really properly evaluate the potential of the card. I think the last time I saw Enchantress being played, it was an Amogus God of Slaughter deck, <laughs> and it, it was dropped onto a privileged position, I believe, and there was a Furnace of Wrath out and a Wound Reflection, huh. and the person's like, well, I guess that privileged position's gone, because I'm not taking 20 damage, <laughs> right. uh, which is what it would have been between the you know Wound Reflection and the Furnace of Wrath. Um, so, like, again, it, there's some hidden synergy sometimes there in that kind of deck, that, that Mogus deck, where there's just a ton of things throwing random damage out. Everyone's life total is super low. Anyway, there's potential damage doubles like that out there. It, it can just straight up be like a, a source repeat removal spell where the person's like, I can't keep this around. There's just too much random damage happening in this game. Well, and the best part about it, too, is so, Danny, you said somebody dropped Enchanter's Bane onto an enchantment. Well, this is an enchantment itself. It's not an aura. You get to choose a new target. So if they sacrifice right, sure. that that big powerful enchantment, so say they sacrifice the Cathars Crusade you've been targeting with it, you just get to pick a new target next turn. It changes every turn. So it's the, that's one of the fantastic things about this spell is right. it scales the further the games go on. So yes, I can play this turn to ping Joey for a couple turns with his with his one mana enchantment that's just helping him ramp. But then, Dane, if you play Anointed Procession later on, I'm going to start pinging you with it. And then if Joey returns the favor and plays something bigger, right. well, I just get to choose a new target every single turn. That's the best part about this is somebody plays something scarier, you want to get rid of it, you just target something scarier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and and again, I feel that it is important to to note that like these things get harder to play around when you're not expecting them if you have personally already like mentally discounted their efficacy. And that kind of brings me to another example that definitely caught us off guard on stream when one of us here played a mirror battlesphere, amazing artifact, which would create four mirror tokens when it enters. And then it was responded to with an out of nowhere green slime, which 
was an especially fun moment. Green Slime is an ooze with flash, and when it enters the battlefield, you counter target activated or triggered ability from an artifact or enchantment source, and if a permanent's ability is countered this way, you destroy that permanent. So instead of, oh, here's Mirror Battlesphere, a bunch of Mirror, I think it even like was going to have haste and deal a bunch of damage right from the off. Instead, here's this card that none of us even knew existed that completely upended the entire play. How do we play around that? We don't. We're just like, ah, we just like we were gobsmacked and it made for such an entertaining moment. I know what you're talking about. I, <laughs> I, I must have not been there that day. I was trying to be coy and not throw you under the bus, but it may have been Mr. Matt Morgan whose Battlesphere got a little bit slimed. I'm, I'm not still bitter about it either. Like that was the most <laughs> absurd, just narrow card that's going to get somebody once. And from now on, like I, I'm just going to look over my shoulder every time I cast any <laughs> Just assume the worst is about to happen to you immediately. I will. And that's just it. Like, I, I think that's another thing here, too, is that, like, these are silly. Like, is Green Slime always going to have that level of e efficacy in every game? That No, there are plenty of times where it's not going to do a dang thing. Right. But at times where it does do something, that's a story that's going to be hard for me to forget. And apparently it's put fear into Matt forever. So I guess sorry about that, Matt, but I'm really enjoying your torment. I'm having a little bit of schadenfreude here, and I think that's worth it. <laughs> That that sequence did make for a very good game because I I never saw it coming. Absolutely didn't. Is Matt more afraid of green slime or is Joey more afraid of losing? Challenge the stats. We're going to challenge the stats, Dana. I know what you're doing there. <laughs> I know what you're trying to... Speaking of things we never see coming, what if we challenge the stats right now? <laughs> nope, nope. You you do not get that. Uh, Dana did it first and Joey, you once again... I telegraphed it. Despite your best efforts. I telegraphed it too far ahead. Yeah, yeah. Dana, Dana got you on this one. Yeah, I'll give him the point. Dang it. I was just like, I the, transparently, I was like, you know what? This would be a great opportunity for Dana to, he's doing it. I have to, I have to speak right now. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about some of the data we don't always agree with on EDHREC right after this quick break. All right. Well, I'll start us off this week with my challenge. And I want to talk about a little equipment that really passed me by called Gavel of the Righteous, which I believe was from one of the New Capenna precons. Gavel of the Righteous is a two-mana equipment. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you put a charge counter on Gavel of the Righteous, and the equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each counter that is on Gavel of the Righteous. Plus, as long as Gavel of the Righteous has four or more counters on it, equipped creature has double strike. And the equip cost is either to remove a counter from the Gavel or to pay three mana. And this one is showing up pretty popularly for some commanders like Parry the Pulverizer, for instance, who loves to do a whole bunch of stuff with counters. And after I looked at this card, I'm like, this is like actually just a really cool piece of equipment that continually gets stronger and stronger. I can see why it hasn't caught on with other equipment focused decks. They already have a lot of other more reliable sources of pump and of double strike. But the thing that I would love to take a second look at for this particular equipment is actually for some commanders that care a lot about proliferate. Like there's the new Bremaz in black white that cares about proliferate. Izuri Stalker of Spheres, Tekuthal is another one of them. These are commanders that can proliferate pretty routinely to get that gavel constantly going higher and higher and higher. And yet it's only showing up in like 17 total of the 1700 Izuri Stalker of Spheres decks out there. Like this is just another cool angle of attack for those decks 
that makes your commander into a scary commander damaging threat if your deck is playing blue then i imagine in addition to the pump and the double strike then you can also have like that stuff get pretty unblockable this is just a very scary little thing that sits on the board slowly gathers stuff up just all on its own and can be attached to any one of your even if you're playing infect creatures like this seems pretty gnarly as well for those so yeah if you're playing proliferate give gavel of the righteous a look because it was kind of sneaking under the radar for me and if it actually hits play i think it would make a very big impact yeah, Joey, I remember seeing somebody post about this on Twitter the other day, and I thought, that card's way better than I remember it not being, because I just don't remember ever seeing this, and there's no way this <laughs> card is this good and not remember seeing it. So yeah, good good call here. Mm -hmm. Well, so my challenge is going to be from somebody who went to YouTube, which you can do, you, pro you can probably just do it on this video here, <laughs> and just leave a comment with a challenge, uh, which is what Matthew Bergeron did. And they said, speaking of Grismold, which we were talking about Grismold a couple weeks ago, an amazing include that's missing in the average deck is Titania's Song. And for those of you who don't know, Titania's Song has seen some changes, but it originally reads, it's th uh, three and a green for enchantment says, all non-creature artifacts lose all abilities and becomes an artifact creature with power and toughness equal to its mana value. If Titania's Song leaves the battlefield, this effect continues until end of turn. So if you're looking at a Grismold deck where you just happen to be wanting a whole bunch of creatures to die, this is fantastic considering there's all sorts of tokens that are running around, whether it's treasures, whether it's clues, anything like that, and it turns them into zero, zero creatures that pump Grismald when they die, well, what's not to like? And Matthew, you're absolutely right. Uh, there isn't a whole lot not to like here because in just what Commander looks like, chances are there's going to be a whole lot of different tokens running around. Yeah, there's a lot of things that if you drop Titania Song, it's going to turn them all into zero, zeros. They're going to die. And if you got, like you said, if you have Grismald in play, it's going to just make Grismold absolutely enormous <laughs> due to Grismold's ability where whenever a creature token dies, you put a plus one plus one counter on Grismold the, the Dread Sower. So yes, you drop Titania Song, a bunch of things die, and then you attack and you kill somebody and make somebody else die. And that's just fantastic catch there. So uh, there's only 1,410 Grismold decks out there right now, and Titania Song is showing up in 18 of them. So very, very low percentage. And I'm just kind of surprised that Grismold hasn't seen a little bit more play lately, <laughs> especially with all the tokens that are running around. But maybe when folks catch on to this, uh, they might wise up to it a little bit and start playing a little bit more. That is such a cool piece of tech. I mean, Titania Song is already really cool anti-treasure tech. I think when you cast it, people will crack all their treasures right then and there so that Grismold won't get the pump immediately. Mm -hmm. But like their clues are dead. Their blood tokens are dead. Like their food tokens are dead. And more importantly, any other future treasures they try to make? No, <laughs> like it's just it is super not happening. It's just going to pump up your commander. And you could be making your own treasures too. This is, yeah, this is a really slick piece of tech. I'm way into it. Well, uh, my challenge was sent to me by listener Andy Demas, um, and the card is Plane-Wide Celebration from back in War of the Spark. For those who don't remember, it's a seven-mana spell, five green-green for a sorcery. Um, you can choose four of the modes on it, but you can choose the same mode more than once. Create a 2-2 citizen creature token that's all colors. Return a permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. Gain four life or proliferate. And the, the challenge in this particular case is for use of that card in a Planeswalker-themed deck. In particular, because three of the top four most popular Planeswalker commanders have green in their color identity. You have Atrax, Praetor's Voice, Karth the Lion, and Eska, God of the Tree. 
Um, only 8% of Atraxa decks are running Planet Celebration, only 3% of Karth decks, and 1% of Asika decks. Now, granted, all of those aren't necessarily Planeswalker commanders, but if you are playing that deck as a Planeswalker theme, I totally agree uh, with Andy Demas here. The ability to put basically four counters on any of your Planeswalkers, or, or all of your Planeswalkers functionally, that's game-ending in a lot of situations. So, yeah. Planeswalker Celebration, that's seven mana is a lot, but that's not a lot of mana to probably win the game because you're going to ult multiple Planeswalkers in that kind of deck. So if you are playing a, 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 a Planeswalker-themed deck and you've access to green, you absolutely probably should be considering Planeswalker Celebration. You said it was you know, good for putting a bunch of counters onto any of your Planeswalkers, all of your Planeswalkers. This one's good enough if you're putting four extra counters onto one of your Planeswalkers. Right, right. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. If yeah. all you've got is just one Tamiyo field researcher, well, okay, boom, now she ults and uh, whoops, and then you just whoops the entire game. Uh, it, even if all you've got is a Vraska Relic Seeker, well, okay, like <laughs> she's ulting now. Whoops, like, yeah, this, these can be uh, very, very effective. And a nice, I, I like that it's the inverse cadence of the typical, like, doubling season into a planeswalker. And said this time you've got the planeswalker into something if you've been able to defend it well. Yep. That can be a very big tempo upset. So, Andy, thank you so much for the listener submitted challenge. So, now I want to move us back to our topic of silly cards, jank, maybe if that's the word, bad cards, quote unquote. And uh, honestly, like, Every so often, I'll go searching for those silly cards because I'm trying to pull a Dana Roach and find a card that that instills from the table the reaction, wait, what was that? What is that card? And sometimes that also is reason enough for me to want to run something. Like, Dana, are you familiar with the card Trailblazer? I'm, I'm not. Yes, I love finding a thing you've never heard of. This card's bad. It's probably like, it's not great, but I don't care. I'm playing it in my Virtus and Gorm deck. It's a four mana green instant target creature can't be blocked this turn. <laughs> it's, it's not excellent. There are so many better and more consistent or more reliable ways of making something unblockable. This one's not great, but you know what? When I pay four mana to make my little Virtus guy unblockable for the turn, poke someone even though they thought they were safe, that's hilarious to me. There are better ways for me to do it. I could use the Douthy stuff to give it shadow or Trailblazer's boots to give it consistent unblockability. But you know what, Trailblazer? It's funny. People go, what's going on? And I enjoy those moments. I really enjoy those moments of causing people to lean forward and go, huh. And and that's just, that's a fun time. So I think that's worth highlighting. Joey, I will defend this beyond just the fact that it, you know, is a terrible card from Ice Age. <laughs> um, one of the nice things about spells like this versus, say, the Trailblazer's boots you mentioned, boots can be responded to. Mm. Um, or, or, you know, I guess you can respond by removing the creature or countering Trailblazer, but, like, that tends to be much more narrow and less likely to occur than someone's like, oh, well, I was holding this, this disenchant to see if it was aimed my way. I'm going to disenchant those boots and then block your creature. Right. Trailblazer is much more difficult to hold up a response to short of uh, a counter spell or moving the creature, which, you know, you are going to do anyway, regardless of what the tech was. So I do think there's there's definitely a, a, a case that can be made for the, the, a one-off effect that's more difficult to stop, for sure. Well, and because Dana didn't say it, I'll say it for Dana, it just says target creature cannot be blocked, which means right, this yeah. being an instant, <laughs> you can use it on your opponent's creatures and make sure they are unblockable which if we want to talk about cards that you are never going to see coming much like fogs you know you, people just don't play around fogs enough 
People will never play around this when you're in mono green. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like all the other types of spells like this, you look at Artful Dodge and Distortion Strike, two very similar spells that are in blue, which just gives target creature unblockable till on a turn. Those are in blue and they're sorcery speed. So typically you're using them on your own creatures to punch through one big creature. This is another one of those fantastic little political tools. Uh, you know, I'm attacking Joey. Dana has this in his hand. Well, Dana wants Joey dead, so Dana puts a trailblazer on my creatures and Joey's dead. Mm. That's just, you don't get that type of stuff in mono green anymore, and I, I'm very happy to see it, so yes. Wait, how did a card that I'm using get used in an example of how I would die in a... Matt, what's your agenda here? <laughs> I don't what? remember you bringing it up, actually, so it's not your card. <laughs> oh, we're rewriting the past now, is we? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. I, I do think we should note for our listeners in this case, Trailblazer, while being you know a fun card and, and definitely useful in situations, is part of the reserved list. So like the price on it is... Oh, it's 82 cents. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what? it's like, this, this is dirt cheap. I like to buy my wins with a reserved list. 82 cents. Yeah. Get it right it's here. on the reserved list, but it's 82 cents. So I think we're, we're probably okay. Don't no, scratch that. Oh, my goodness. All right. Anyway, that that's a pick that I, I definitely had to put in here because I, I want people to see this card and go and they just have a scratch their head moment. They're like, is this... This, this is the guy who has a, a commander podcast really like I, those are those are moments i want to create but anyway that's just me let's let's move on to someone else <laughs> well so so i'll chime in with cards so there's a category of just cards that are ramp but they're just super expensive they're mana hungry and i know a lot of players kind of get turned off from that mm. but these days there are so many ways that you can turn that into an upside one of my favorite ways to do this is navigation orb so it, it's five mana effectively for a an artifact it's it's three to cast and then it's two plus tap it to have the activated ability so if you're using it on the same turn it's five mana and you get to search your library for up to two basic land cards and or gate cards reveal them put them on the battlefield tapped uh one on the, one onto the battlefield tapped excuse me and the other into your hand and then you shuffle well since there are so many gates now, in Baldur's Gate, we had a whole bunch of gates. Weird how that worked out. Plus, you have all the original Ravnica guilds gates. There's a bunch of ways that you can get two dual lands for five mana, which that just doesn't happen in non-green decks. And so I'm a huge, huge fan of this. It's just, it's a great way to get your mana fixing. If you're playing three colors and none of them are green, I absolutely would put a gates package into your deck and navigation orb, stuff like that, just ways to get those gates out of your deck, into your hand, into onto the battlefield, and they're just going to help fix your colors, which, like I said, you just don't have access to. So yes, you're paying a little bit of a premium with the mana, but it's it's absolutely worth the effort to get all of your colors taken care of. I I just I've always enjoyed this for some reason. I I don't know why, but I just think it's for what you're getting, especially non-green, it's actually kind of efficient even though most players would say five mana that's way too much. Yeah, Matt, actually, uh, and okay, I feel I feel dirty bringing this one up because I'm the guy who likes having a lot of stuff in my graveyard, and this is a card that gets rid of graveyards. So, like, I don't want to mention it, but from that same set, we also had Stone Speaker Crystal, mm -hmm. which is sort of like a Hedron Archive. Um, it's the four mana, and it taps to add two colorless, but you can also pay two, tap it, sacrifice it, exile any number of target players' graveyards, and you draw a card. So instead of drawing two cards off of the Hedron Archive, you would get to have some incidental grave hate and also still draw a card here. And this is, again, a... 
a, a more expensive version of mana ramp and there's been a lot of discussion here I, I mean there are even people who are like dubious of three mana rocks and those are a thing that we like to defend a whole lot so like when the, when the conversation goes up to something that costs four or five mana people do get a lot more skeptical which i understand in the case of efficiency but in terms of the flexibility that you get like you said with color fixing or with stone speaker crystal absolutely demoralizing me every time i want to do anything with my graveyard and just seeing that mana rock right there that won't let me i do like the designs on those a whole lot and that flexibility is really really enjoyable it can grease a whole lot of wheels and even if it's not the technically most efficient thing that you could be doing the other stuff that you can access or that you can threaten to do is also very enjoyable like you just mentioned a gates package there i've seen what you can do when you have multiple gates fixing your colors in play and then a balder's gate right there pumping up your creatures incidentally for that too like those are fun flourishes on a game i think my version of this kind of effect that i'm a big fan of is frontier siege three and a green um and at the beginning of each of your main phases you add two green to your mana pool um there's also a second mode on there which isn't necessarily irrelevant um if you're you know me and playing the Celestia <laughs> dragon's deck i guess um whenever a creature with flying enters battlefield under your control you may have a fight target creature you don't control so i guess you know if you're playing a gruel dragon deck too that's maybe relevant as well but Number one, what's nice about it is a lot of times these kind of effects, you do them and you don't get the payoff till the following turn. Um, Frontier sees that isn't necessarily the case because it's beginning of each of your main phases. You add two green to your mana pool, so you can cast that phase one and still and still immediately start getting a payoff on phase two, which means the next turn it's already paid for itself in the first phase, and then you're you're making a a mana profit, so to speak, by the second main phase. That's a pretty good rate of return altogether to get back, and the fact that you like. If you're at the point in the game in the right deck where like, I don't need ramp right now, but I, I do absolutely would like to start picking off creatures whenever I drop one of these flyers that I'm playing anyway. Mm. I, I like that versatility on it too. I, I think maybe, you know, I've played the dragons mode twice ever, I think, <laughs> but um, the fact that it's, it's, it's there and there's no downside to having it really is, is, is nice. And it's just a pretty solid ramp spell too in the right kind of deck. Well, and even to a, a card that I talked about a couple of weeks ago, Machine God's Effigy, mm -hmm. it's four mana. It only adds one blue, but it comes in as a copy of a creature on the battlefield. And so you get to, if there's some static ability, there's some ETB ability you want around, just a good way to steal it. And then you also, by the way, have mana ramp available. So yeah, yeah some, sometimes you spend a, a little more to get a lot more. Oh, that's such a great example, too. Like, yes, this is my Machine God's Effigy Mana Rock, and it's only tapping for one, except it also let me use your Eternal Witness, incidentally, or let me copy up my Dockside Extortionist, so it's doing more than, than just what it looked like at first blush. That's such a good example. And actually, Matt, as long as we're talking about cards in your decks, I want to poke your brain about a card that I've seen in one of your decks. I believe it's in your Council of Four deck. Okay. And that's the card Modify Memory. Yes. Which is a five mana blue sorcery exchange control of two target creatures controlled by different players if you controlled neither creature you draw three cards this it's showing up in like barely 3300 decks right now this is not the type of thing that i would be like oh you know what i gotta play I am usually a lot more like, oh, I got to have my Pongifies. I got to have my rapid hybridizations. I got to make sure I have my reality shift to make sure that my removal is reliable. But I feel like you've got good reasons for playing a card like Modify Memory. I do. Because that's what you do. So I'm so curious why you play in this one. Well, so the big reason is, A, it's... I, it, it, I draw three cards more often than not. Mm. And honestly, one of the reasons... It's kind of a metagame card. That's one of the reasons I put it in there. Just because 
whenever we play on twitch.tv slash EDH RecCast, <laughs> you two both have decks that, for, for, for want of a better word, um, I can't let your commanders live. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so if I'm able to um, put Dana's commander over there on your battlefield and I put Joey, your commander, onto Dana's battlefield and swap those around, well, it just throw, totally throws off the function of both of those decks. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a, a fantastic way to shuffle things around and also too and by the way when i do that to both of you i draw three cards <laughs> which also then turns into a fourth card because in my council four whenever i draw my second card i draw an extra card oh nice so there's a lot for, for for five mana it does a whole heck of a lot to just the entire board state going on and and another thing too i know a lot of times on recent episodes we've talked about cards that when we're down to two players it just doesn't work as well. You don't, you don't want to be goading people when there's only two players, for example. Mm-hmm. This still works just fine because my Council of Four deck, more often than not, has a whole bunch of knights on the battlefield. So if I can take your best creature and I give you a 2-2 knight, that is still worth the five mana because I get your best thing that I'm probably going to beat you with. <laughs> and then you get a, a measly 2-2 blocker. So I love so much of what's going on there. I had this in my Baldur's Gate pre-release. I never looked back. I've I've had this in a deck ever since. It's been a ton of fun. So is it great? No, but it does so much. The controlled chaos. I don't like warp worlds and all that, but a little bit of a shift into, mm-hmm. well, this card does nothing for somebody else. So I'm going to give it to them and I'm going to give them somebody or I'm going to give them a creature that also they can't really benefit. Like if I take the Voltron creature from the Voltron player and put into the group hug player, well, that just totally throws off one game plan, and it's just a way to preserve myself. Oh, yeah. If you give me Dana's Jeru with eyes open, which is a Planeswalker commander, I'm going to be like, uh, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. And if you give him my Yannette, he's like, well, I, I don't have a bunch of odd mana cards in this deck to flip off the top. Or, yeah. like, what am I going to do with this? Like, yeah, it rapidly destabilizes our board. And that I feel like it forces me to want to find a board wipe immediately, which is the thing that you just forced my hand. Not only did you... In a way, like you removed, but you didn't remove. But like you're forcing me to want to play removal so that I can get my dang thing back. And that's that's pretty magical to see. Or getting rid of like your Tana, for example, for one of Dana's commanders. That's that's another way. Just like, oh, well, your commander commander deck, you need those commanders on the battlefield. Yeah. And if they're <laughs> if, if Dana controls them, well, they're not doing you very much good at all. Yeah, thanks for that. Love it. <laughs> yeah, just throwing that little bit of chaos out there. Um is sometimes worth it like just on its own. And that's before you even get into the fact that you're drawing three cards off it. Like there's, there's a whole lot of potential upside in a card like modified memory for sure. Yeah. And and Matt, I like that you pointed out those, there, there are again, those extra little synergies. And I think that's probably one of the best lessons for us to bring things back around to Mm -hmm. is that again, it's pretty hard to call cards in commander outright bad all of the time. Like pretty constantly we see a new commander comes out and it takes some random chain of smog card and turns it into suddenly it's an infinite combo with X and Y other magecraft synergies, you know, like there are cards that look kind of crappy in some contexts. And then in other contexts, they're absolute powerhouses. And I think a lot of the cards we've talked about here today are like decently inconsistent, but they're still really joyous when things, you know, do line up. And they're also just fun to say, yeah, I'm doing this thing that I'm not seeing other folks do. It makes them a little bit curious. It makes them lean forward into the game. And those moments of people leaning forward and being more engaged with the game, that to me is what it's all about. Yeah, finding ways that you can still enjoy your 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 creativity and express what you want to be doing with the deck. It's, it's always fun finding these little cards that just people maybe 
don't expect to see or can maybe frowny front of frown upon even uh and finding ways to make them good and beat them with it <laughs> i i like i like being able to do that that's one of the reasons we play commander yeah yeah exactly as rachel said dana when you pointed out the beginning of the show bad cards rule like these cards absolutely rule these are these are fun things so listeners we would especially love to hear from you about any cards that you play that other folks give a little bit of side eye to other folks are like why are you playing that one but like that's sort of the point of it those they're, they're still joyous little things to unlock about them and sometimes they have excellent hidden synergies for your deck too we'd really love to hear different examples in your experience but for now i think we're going to call this episode to a close so fellas if our listeners want to get in touch with us where is it that they can find you matt so you can find me on the twitters at mathemus55 that's m-a-t-h-i-m-u-s-5-5 and don't forget we can we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash edh recast every wednesday we always have a super fun time so make sure you tune in for that too and dana you can find me on twitter at dana roach i'm writing articles for edh rec and you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash edh recast and i'm joey schultz you can find me at joseph m schultz and you can find the cast at edh recast on all of the online spaces as well plus if you've got a question for us you can contact us at edh at gmail.com our thanks go out once again to chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show you can find them online at mana curves and listeners will be back at you next week with more data and insights but until then remember edh wreck your deck before you wreck your deck <laughs>